What up, brawlers? Welcome back to Throne Hands. As we review Fight Night, Pryor vs. Hooker, I'm Jacob Janoski. Alongside me is Daniel Woods. Daniel, how are you doing? Jacob, I'm doing really good, man. I'm really excited to review what was one of the best overall cards, in my opinion, we've seen this year. Yeah, definitely. So I guess we'll just hop right into it then. All right, so the first fight we're going to review is uh, Felipe Lenz versus Tanner Bozer. Knockout of the night for sure, no question. What were your thoughts on this? I think uh, you you sent me a text during or right after this fight. Uh, it was kind of a callback to the conversation we had on the preview when we talked about this fight, which is uh, Tanner Bozer really is kind of a volume striker, and he definitely that two minutes forty five seconds he filled it up uh, with a lot of strikes, landed fifteen out of twenty two strikes. All fifteen were significant as well. And uh, something interesting moving forward, Tanner Bozer, beyond this, and I think one of the reasons he looked so good, he was down a good bit of weight from his last fight. Uh, he came in, I, I want to say, around 245. He was down at least 10 pounds to about 235 for this one against Felipe Lins. And I think that definitely showed he was quick, but he still had power. And I think that was a big factor in him picking up a really impressive win. Yeah, that's how I noticed too. And, yeah, for the first uh... – however long you know two minutes they really just kind of looked at each other kind of figured he tried to figure each other out and then Tanner Bozer just went on the went on the offensive landing 15 of his 22 strikes and when he hit Liz in the back of the head you could tell that stunned him and then like we like you and I talked about Bozer brought the volume like he usually does with with his uh four punch combination just about and he got he got the knockout I couldn't be really more pleased with what Tanner Bozer brought that night so for Felipe Lins, I don't know what's next for him because he he's lost two, his first two UFC fights, I believe. I think he's only fought two. Am I, am I right? That that sounds right. I don't I don't have it right in front of me. Yeah, but yeah, I think he's only won two of his fight. He's lost both of his UFC fights, so I don't really know what's next for him. I don't think he'll get cut, but he really has to show something in his next performance. What what do you think's next? I definitely think so. He's got his back up against the wall looking at his, his career results now. Uh, coming out of Bellator and the Pro Fighting League, he, he, that was his second UFC fight. The second one he's lost. He's kind of got thrown into the deep end a little bit. Because, I mean, Andre Arlovsky, opening up with Andre Arlovsky and then Tanner Bozer in his second fight, neither one of those guys are slouches by any means. So, obviously, there, were, there have been high hopes for Felipe Lins. He hasn't exactly lived up to them so far. Uh, but... He is in a position where his back's against the wall a little bit. He's a very talented guy. He's shown that everywhere else he's been except the UFC. So if he can, if he can get turned around in a third fight, I think he's, he's still got a lot of potential to make noise in the heavyweight division moving forward. Yeah, and I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't put it any better. But Bozer called out Mari Screen, I'm pretty sure, right? Yes. So I, I, I think that will be what's next for him because I think that's a good fight. Bozer really showed what – what he could do, and uh, Maurice Green uh, eked out that win. What do you think should be next for him? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure we're going to talk about that Maurice Green, John Volante fight a little bit later, but I think that is a really good fight for Bozer. He's he's kind of up on 
up on a little bit of a hot hot streak now as compared to Maurice Green, who is coming off a really big emotional win over John Volante, where he came into that fight really fighting for his job and in the last minute and a half of that fight was able to to pull it out in really kind of a spectacular fashion. Nobody saw that coming. These are two guys that clearly are very hungry to be successful in the UFC, and I think uh, putting them up against one another could really be fireworks. Yep, so I think we cover our basis on the Felipe Lins tanner Bozer fight. We're going to head over to the, the Brendan Allen versus Kyle Dawkins night, a very entertaining fight in my opinion. Brendan Allen definitely won two rounds, but what, I think the last judge made had him winning three rounds. What were your thoughts on this fight? This was a really entertaining fight, and I think on any other card uh, through any UFC event we've seen so far this year, this might have been the fight of the night. Obviously, we're going to get into the main event later, but this was a really, really exciting fight. Two guys that were just swapping bombs on the feet were doing really good work on the ground as well, uh, and they threw a ton of strikes. Both guys broke 100 total strikes thrown. Uh, Brendan Allen landed 79, and he was far behind Kyle Dawkins, who landed 92. These were guys that just kept coming at each other for three rounds. Allen, like you said, the first two rounds in my eyes, he he won pretty considerably. I think Kyle Dawkins, with his ground control, t- took that third round. Uh, but a really impressive performances for both guys, especially with Dawkins taking this fight on short notice, coming in and standing toe-to-toe with Brendan Allen, who's in the top 15. Yeah, I couldn't put it better than you'd have. And with Brendan Allen, yes, he he did not land as many strikes as Kyle Dawkins did, but he landed seven more significant strikes. And he did work when he was on his back, so I think that earned him maybe some credit in the judges' eyes. But Kyle Dawkins, he really showed what he could do, especially on short notice, like you said, with three takedowns out of the five. And he held uh, Brendan Allen on the ground for four minutes in the in the third round. So he definitely won that third round. So I... I couldn't be more pleased with this fight. It probably would have been a fight of night on any other card. So what do you think's next for uh, Kyle Dawkins? Dawkins, I'm not sure because he did take this fight on such short notice. I think he's definitely, obviously he wouldn't have got this fight if he wasn't on the UFC's radar. Uh, but it, it's always interesting to see where guys go after short notice fights, especially if, if they do come off a loss, which obviously you see most of the time. But Kyle Dawkins definitely performed up to the level that showed he is someone that can compete in the UFC, can, can fight at a high level. I don't know exactly who his next opponent would be. I would expect to see him get another UFC fight and possibly as soon as he's healthy. Yeah, I have to agree there. I think he could, he'll face somebody in a similar range that Brennan Allen is because Brennan Allen's ranked 13th, I believe, right now. So I think we can see him fight somebody in a similar range because he kept, kept this fight close. So what do you think is next for Brendan Allen? If I had to guess... Honestly, Brendan Allen, he's going to have to heal up because if if I'm remembering this correctly, he's got three facial fractures. He's got nasal and orbital fractures coming out of that fight. So he's going to have to heal up in a pretty serious way there. Next for him, I would probably see him get matched up with Ian Heinish. That's who was originally supposed to be in this fight before he withdrew due to an injury and Kyle Dawkins stepped in on short notice. Uh, that's a fight that I think uh, would really help both Brendan Allen and Ian Heinish. Whoever comes out of there with a win, obviously once Allen would get healthy, whoever comes out of there with a win is somebody that uh, could have a, a kind of a rocket strapped to their back as far as these rankings go. Both of them very talented guys and still still ahead of their primes. 
that would be a really exciting fight. I would really like to see it. And obviously the UFC scheduled it once. I'm sure they're looking to schedule it in the future. Yeah, I can't put it any better. I think that's exactly what's next for him. Ian Heinish, I think that'd be a good matchup. All right, to a really interesting matchup. Uh, the We got uh, Jean Vellante versus Maurice Green. I did not expect John Volante to come in with uh, – he ate one too many milkshakes, man. I mean, this dude looked like he came straight out straight out of a bar. But I don't know. This was really interesting. Murray Screen had, had it through the first round. Then John Volante came through. And then Murray Screen caught him with that arm triangle when John was on top of him. What were your thoughts? I think – I think John Volante got a little too far ahead of himself there in that third round. Like you said, Maurice Green probably looked to maybe have won the first two rounds, at least the first round. But then John Volante just kept peppering him with that inside leg kick. His left leg was looking pretty rough by about the middle of that third round. And finally, Volante stung him, got him down to the ground. And I think, honestly he just wore himself out going for that TKO with the ground and pound and green. It was a, they announced the finish as an arm triangle, but it really wasn't that much of a traditional arm triangle. He was just able to kind of trap John Volante in, in sort of that kind of position. And I think he had just worn himself out to the point that his breathing started to get restricted. He panicked a little bit and just went for the tap as soon as he kind of felt that coming on. So a really emotional performance from Maurice Green. I was really impressed with what he was able to do. And honestly, one of my favorite parts of it is, again, with that, that submission, you, you heard Michael Bisping talking. It had some, some elements of an Ezekiel choke, some elements of an arm triangle. And he clearly kind of pulled it out of nowhere. I saw some people saying on Twitter with, with his nickname, the Crochet Boss, it should be called the Crochet Choke, that arm triangle from the back. I don't have a problem with that. I like innovation in my sports. So a really solid performance from Maurice Green when he needed one coming off back-to-back losses. Yeah, definitely. And what, I forget who said this. It might have been Bisping or uh... – Cruz, but John Vellante has asthma, so they think that probably caught up to him. And I, I know, I know, it's already restricted a lot when you have asthma. So if you restrict it anymore, it's pretty much a choke. So I don't know what's next for John Vellante because he did not look. He wasn't in shape for this fight, in my opinion. His cardio definitely killed him at the end. And I don't know. I can't see him going back down to light heavyweight either because he didn't really make that much progress. If I think if he got in better shape for the heavyweight division, he's six three, six four. So he has a good frame on it. If he just packed on some more muscle, maybe come in 220, 225, rather than the 255 that he did, I think he can make some headway in this division. What do you think? I definitely think so. Obviously, moving up to heavyweight from light heavyweight, you're going to want to put on weight. That's just the way it works when you're going between weight classes. But it was a bad kind of weight that John Volante came in. He basically came in with a dad bod, a beer gut it looked like coming in. I mean, I don't want to rag on the guy, but – he was in good shape when he fought at light heavyweight and he did not look like the same kind of fighter on Saturday. It, it was almost unrecognizable seeing him out there. Obviously the power was still there. The wrestling was still there, but he just wasn't the same physically. And I think that killed him in the end. If he can figure out some of those issues he had with conditioning, drop some of that weight, he could be somebody that could compete at heavyweight moving forward. 
especially towards the back end of that division, but he's coming off back-to-back losses. He's lost five of his last seven now. He's going to have to do something quicker. He's going to find himself off the roster. Yeah, I, you couldn't put it any better. So I think for Maurice Green, he'll fight Bozer. I don't think that's uh, out of the picture completely. I mean, Bozer, I mean, he obviously put on a great performance, and I think this would be a good fight for an uppercomer versus a guy trying to get back into the game. What do you think? Definitely. And it's two guys that have a little bit of a history. Uh, Tanner Bozer's called Maurice Green out in the past and has said Green kind of ducked him because he was looking for somebody in the top 15. Uh, Maurice Green was able to explain that a little bit more with John Anik after the fight, uh, that the beef between these two guys is really more misunderstanding than, than true anger between them. But I think it'll be a really good fight. Maurice Green with his ground game combined with his size and length at six foot seven, uh, he's got an even longer reach than that. I think he's a really fun guy to watch fight. So is Tanner Bozer. I'm excited to see these guys go to head, head to head. And I hope it can be soon. Yeah, for sure. I, I hope so too. I think it'd be fireworks now to, if you guys didn't know, so we're reviewing Mike Perry versus Mickey Gall next. Mike Perry had his girlfriend in the corner, but somehow Came away with the win. I don't know how. What were your thoughts? Mike Perry just (laughs) was very precise. We've seen Mike Perry get out of control in the past, but he was very precise. He landed over 100 strikes, 103 strikes out of 158 attempted, with 76 of them being significant. That's a really, really strong fight, and he just dominated Mickey Gall on the feet. And when it did go to the ground, he used his superior strength to take control, scramble, and not let Mickey Gall catch him in a submission, which Mickey Gall, obviously, that rear naked choke is one of the best in the UFC. But if he can't get to Mike Perry's back in that fight, which he didn't, he's not going to be able to lock it in. Uh, Perry came in with a game plan. He was able to do it without really much of a fight camp outside of himself. And it was a really impressive performance as Mickey Gall is a guy that we've seen the last few years has progressed a lot from coming in as a guy that was really just a grappler, really just a jujitsu practitioner uh, to be able to hold his own on the feet. And I think he showed some things against Mike Perry, uh, but it was a really, really good performance from Mike Perry and something we haven't seen out of him as far as precision goes in a little while. Yeah, really. Like you said, he, Mike Perry has been on a little slump, but something seemed different in him. Like I think, putting himself through his own camp, doing what he wants, maybe made him better doing what he wants. And like you said, I mean, what surprised me was the takedown portion in the ground game with this fight, because I expected Mickey Gall to dominate one on the ground. Mickey Gall didn't seem comfortable on this, on his back in this, in this fight. Mike Perry had the takedowns. He had any, and, and he had the knockdown and it, it, Mike Perry just dominated this whole fight and from the clinch and on the ground. So I don't, I don't, I don't know what, what's next for Mickey Gall in this one. What do you think? You can only call a guy a prospect for so long. Mickey Gall has a ton of talent on the ground, and he's gotten better on the feet every time we've seen him fight, but he just can't seem to string wins together. That's the biggest thing for me with him is to be successful in the UFC, to get ranked in the top 15, to move up in your career. You have to string wins together, and at 6-3 and at the age of 28, Mickey Gall hasn't been able to do that. His last six fights, or last five fights, excuse me, he's alternated since he lost 
against Randy Brown, which was his first career loss. It's been loss, win, loss, win, loss. You have to be able to string wins together. After he started his career out 4-0, it looked like he was going to do that, especially since three of those fights were in the UFC. But he just hasn't been able to put success together in line. It's like he takes one step forward and two steps back every time he goes out into the octagon. Yeah, and he's really not separating himself from that uh, reputation that he has, the guy who fought CM Punk. He's, he hasn't really separated himself from that reputation that he really needs to because um, CM Punk's garbage. You and I can both agree on that. And if you really want to be known as the guy who beat CM Punk, if you don't want to be known as the guy who be- beat CM Punk, you got to make some headway. And Mickey Gall just hasn't made some headway. When on the other hand, Mike Perry changed stuff up when he because fi- he, he had, wasn't really making much headway either. And when he changed stuff up, it seemed like something switched to him in this fight. And I think he can make some no- a little bit of noise in this uh, stacked welterweight division. What do you think? I think that's a definite possibility. Mike Perry needed to win this one coming off back-to-back losses to Vicente Luque and Jeff Neal. And he's always been a really exciting fighter. He's always been a guy that is a little bit out of the ordinary, both in the octagon and out of it. But he was really impressive. He kept control of the fight for 15 minutes, was on top of Mickey Gall, giving him pressure for all three rounds. And moving forward, he's an interesting guy to watch. I don't think he's obviously somebody that's going to jump right up and be fighting contenders right away. But Mike Perry is kind of back to a point close to where we saw him at his peak a few years ago. Yeah. It looks so, like at least. Yeah, at least I think so. And I don't know what's next for him, whom Mike Perry will fight. Maybe we can uh, see him. Uh, be, maybe Vittori's next for him. I think that could be a decent matchup. But maybe someone out of the rings because he's just getting back on his feet. What do you think? He called out Darren Till and talked about moving up to 185 for that. But I think Darren Till's honestly above where Mike Perry is right now by a good bit. Uh, he's, uh, Perry has talked about getting aligned with a new team, uh, possibly moving to South Florida, getting in somewhere there. So he's obviously wanting to continue to take a step up. I've seen some people say him and Nico Price would be an interesting matchup. That's two guys that can really go at each other, really throw some heavy hands. And he would be able to stay at 170 for that. I think that'd be a really fun fight to watch. Yeah, I think depending on where he wants to go, he will definitely fight someone uh, 13 or below. If he wants to stay in the welterweight division, he can. And if he wants to move up, he can. So I think either way, it's really his choice because he really hasn't made any headway in the welterweight division right now. So it's kind of his way to go. All right, to the main event of the evening. So fight of the year, Poirier versus Hooker? I would have to think so at this point so far. Uh, I, I was reading something, I believe, from Bleacher Report where basically they said, we'll concede that this may not be the greatest fight of all time, but that's all we're going to give you because it's it, this fight checks every box. Fight of the year, fight of the month, fight of the night, whatever you want to call it. It was from both guys. We talked about how evenly matched Dustin Poirier and Dan Hooker were both on the feet and on the ground coming into this fight, and they proved that Dustin Poirier was able to just separate a little bit more with his stamina late in this fight. Uh, but Dan Hooker has no reason to hang his head coming out of this. He's still very clearly a big player in the future of the lightweight division. And it's one of the most stacked divisions in the UFC. These are two guys moving forward that are legitimate contenders. And it was one of the most impressive performances out of both guys we've seen in 2020. Oh, for sure. I thought 
what Dustin Poirier did, especially after his hip surgery that he had uh, a few months back, I was amazed at how well he moved and his cardio. He seemed like he could go another round or two after that fifth round. And I think if Hooker just worked on his cardio, it would, there would have been more fireworks because he was Hooker was getting tagged in the in the fourth and fifth rounds, and Hooker even had him in the sec, at the end of the second round. Poirier got saved by the bell, so. I, I really couldn't have asked more from this fight. I mean, they both landed over 180 strikes, significant strikes even at about 155 each. Yes, Dan Hooker did beat him on the ground. But other than that, I really couldn't ask for much more. What, what do you think about the fight in general? I mean, this was ridiculously exciting, ridiculously well fought from both sides, and ridiculously close for all five rounds. Like I said, Poirier just had a little bit more left in the tank when it came to those. Obviously, this wasn't a championship fight, but when it came to those championship rounds, the fourth and fifth rounds you see in the main event of every UFC card, it was a really strong performance from both guys. Dustin Poirier showed he's right there after coming off that hip surgery like you talked about. He's right back where he was. Uh, in a position to fight for the lightweight title. And Dan Hooker has proved he's not somebody to be messed with as he comes up through this division. I'm really excited to see where, in general, the lightweight division goes moving forward, especially with these two guys fighting at the top of it. Yeah, for sure. So heading over to the lightweight division right here. So what do you think's next for Dan Hooker? I'll, it's a really interesting situation for Dan Hooker because I don't see him falling in the rankings based off what he did, because he just, it was a very even match. And if he just had a little more in the tank, it it, it would have, it could have been a draw in my eyes. Oof. But I think we could see him staying in the same position. I think we could see him fight Tony Ferguson next. I don't know. What do you think? I'm not sure if Tony Ferguson is the next step for Dan Hooker. Uh, yeah, both guys are coming off of a loss, but obviously Tony Ferguson, other than actually winning the lightweight title, has proven to be at a completely different level other than anybody but uh, Khabib Nurmagomedov and Justin Gaethje at least in recent years in that division as for for Hooker maybe he takes a little bit of a step down as far as competition gets somebody more towards the middle of that top 10 somebody like Charles Charles Oliveira uh, Kevin Lee Ally Quinta someone in that range I I would think Oliveira because he's the highest ranked of the three and he's coming off of a win against Kevin Lee so Hooker is definitely in a really good position. I don't see him dropping from that fifth spot. It's just a matter of who's in a position for him to fight next. Yeah, I, you know, I'll agree with you there. And I think Oliveira's made some headway in this lately in this uh, lightweight division because you and I talked back in March about he was ranked 14th or 15th. And he's really moved up the ranks because he's improved. I think he's strung a couple wins in a row. And I feel like I think that would be a good matchup for Charles Oliveira, a guy who's very good on the ground and a guy who's very good on the stand-up and the ground. So I'd really like to see that fight. For Poirier, I think he waits for the next uh, title shot. What do you think? He It depends on how long it takes him to recover in terms of health from this fight. He's coming off major surgery. He took a beating from Dan Hooker even though he won this fight. So if it's a long recovery for Dustin Poirier or he wants to wait for a title shot, I think he waits for a title shot. If not, I want to see him fight Tony Ferguson. I think he will fight Tony Ferguson to separate, if he can fight that soon, to separate himself as the number one contender to the Khabib Gaethje winner. I think between those two guys, you have two of the best fighters in the world 
and neither one of them are the number one contender in the light heavyweight, or excuse me, the lightweight division right now, which is ridiculous. It just speaks to the depth that this division has. I think Dustin Poirier is kind of controls his own destiny right now because if he does take a fight with Tony Ferguson and wins, I think he's the clear number one contender. And I think if he does wait it out, waits to get a little healthier, depending on his state coming out of this Dan Hooker fight, coming off a win against Tony Ferguson, who's coming off a loss, he's clearly the first option to get a shot at the lightweight title after Gaethje and Khabib fight to unify the interim and the uh, regular lightweight title. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more on what, what's next for Poirier. Definitely, we could see that Tony Ferguson fight. There have been rumblings about Conor McGregor. No, he's uh, he's not going to stay retired, but not this quickly he's going to come out. But Poirier versus Ferguson, I'd love to see that fight. Two guys who just like to beat the crap out of each other. That's that's what I'm that's what I'm looking for. All right, so to an, to an interesting topic here, I think. So I, you know, I'm listening to the commentary. I'm not a big fan of Dominic Cruz. What's your thoughts on Dominic Cruz's commentary? I think Dominic Cruz, as far as I don't want to put the, Dominic Cruz is is very good at explaining the technical aspects of mixed martial arts. Obviously, he's one of the the greatest fighters in his at his weight, and he's moved up between weight classes. But he's one of the greatest, I guess you could say, smaller fighters of all time, and he's great at breaking down the nuances of what happens in the octagon. Is he the most boisterous? Is he the most exciting commentator? I I will have to say he's not, but he's obviously, he's not a a trained journalist. He he doesn't have a degree in journalism. He's not been doing this for 15, 20 years. Uh, Like somebody like Joe Rogan has, even though he's not even somebody with a journalism background. I think Dominic Cruz is improving on commentary. I think he's certainly an analyst who brings a lot to the table, and I want to see him get on more of these cards with ESPN. I like hearing guys that obviously have been in the octagon be able to break that down. And I like Dominic Cruz. He he has work to do, in my opinion, as far as bringing that excitement to the table. But I really like what he brings as far as – knowledge of mixed martial arts and being able to break it down uh, for maybe the the less educated viewer when it comes to those kind of things. Oh, definitely. I have to agree with you there. He's very, very, of course, he's very knowledgeable. He's one of the best ever at what he does. And listening to him makes me understand what, what's going on. But I just wish he put a little more pep in his step. I mean, not as much as Bisping, because, I mean, Bisping obviously knows what he's talking about. But, you know, he had some uh, comedy in there. But if, if Dominic Cruz just and I love Michael Bisping I know. commentary. If I, I know, I love him too. If Bisping, if uh, Cruz just livening it up a little bit, man. Hey, I'm looking at you right now, Dominic. Livening it up, man. All right. Do you have any final thoughts, my man? Not really. I'm just. I'm really happy with this card. There's some really good cards coming up. Obviously, we're getting that triple title fight card at 251. Once things move over to Abu Dhabi. I'm I'm sure we will be able to have some very extensive analysis of those fights, both before and after. Uh, I'm really excited to see where things go the rest of the summer. I feel like I'm saying that every time we record yeah. a show at the end, but it just keeps getting better and better, and they're making more fights every day. Yeah, definitely. One more thing. I think this smaller octagon has really brought out 
something else in the fighters. I just feel like these, like the I Calvillo uh, card was not supposed to be entertaining, but no. I think the smaller octagon because they have to react quicker to what's going on, like around the fence and with strikes, I think it's made it more entertaining in a sense because it brings them closer together. What do you think? I think that's definitely a big thing. And I think, like you said, the work up against the fence has been something really interesting to watch because you'll hear coaches yelling at their guys when they get taken down, find the fence, find the fence, find the fence. And they're ba- they've basically got their back up against it already, but they're not used to it being that close. And they're kind of scrambling to figure out where they are in the octagon, which is something really interesting to watch. And obviously when it comes to working on the feet, uh, there's, there's nowhere to run. I mean, you saw Mickey Gall slip out of some some dangerous situations against Mike Perry getting backed into corners. Uh, but when it came down to it, Mike Perry was able to chase him all over the octagon. And I think that was a large part of that had to do with the smaller octagon. Obviously, Mike Perry's extremely talented striker and has a great boxing background. But in a larger octagon, maybe Mickey Gall gets away a little bit more, keeps his stamina a little bit more, and is able to, to work a little bit more on the ground. So dealing with a smaller octagon has definitely been a factor in these fights the last few weeks, but it's something that I welcome because it makes some fights that wouldn't necessarily be the most exciting, a little bit more exciting and a little bit more accessible uh, rather than just, you know, the larger audience coming in. They want to see something exciting. You're getting more exciting fights now. Yep. I, I can put it in, but for those fans out there, the octagon goes back to the normal size at fight Island. Danny, I want to thank you for coming back on. Really good podcast today. I enjoyed it a lot. Yes, sir. So All right. I really excited to keep recording some episodes the rest of the summer and moving forward. All right, guys. We'll see you next time for UFC 251 Preview.